Diversity and inclusion, a hot topic in the world right now. But knowing how and where to begin to make a tangible difference can be tricky. That's why we created this podcast. By drawing on the experience of thought leaders across Canada, we hope to create awareness, showcase a variety of perspectives, and inspire courage for all of us to create more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplaces and communities for all. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Pham, Executive Director of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. Welcome to Leader Talks. We are so honoured today to have Yin Brown with us. Yin is a first-generation immigrant of Chinese descent. Her pronouns are she and her and hers, and she happens to be blind. Currently, Yin is the Director of Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Accessibility, or IDEA, at Ability Centre in Ontario. Previously, Yin worked as an accessibility consultant for the City of Toronto, manager and advocacy at CNIB Ontario, and coordinator for stakeholder and government relations at CBM Canada. In addition, she worked for many years in adult education and community development. Yin's passion is employment of persons with disabilities, for which she has led several advocacy and mentorship projects when she was underemployed. And having transitions from being fully sighted to completely blind, Yin is really astounded at how her employment prospects decreased in proportion to losing her sight, even though her work experience and education increased over the same period of time. And that really showed, you know, sort of the lack of employment was mainly due to employers' misconception of her abilities due to her disability. So, wow, what a story. And I'm so already impressed, you know, by your story, Yin, and what you've had to go through. So I've prepared some questions, and I would love to share them with you, Yin. But first of all, welcome to our CCDI Fireside Chat. It's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Yin. So let's start off with the first question. You really have lived an incredible life, great work experience as well as we see from your biography. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself beyond the biography and your passion for doing this work for persons with disabilities? So, yeah, as you mentioned, I wasn't born blind. I have lived the first 20 years of my life fully sighted. And at that time, I never thought of the challenges facing people with disabilities, especially when it comes to employment. I was living happily, you know, going on all my life, getting jobs and, you know, working, going overseas and, you know, just always been employed until uh, I started losing my eyesight and moving, as you said, from being fully sighted to fully blind. And as you mentioned that I... I'm just really shocked that even though my education increased, I kept taking courses, certificates, besides my master's degree, also my work experience increased in teaching, in government relations, sector engagement, da 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 da. You know, and yet people just saw me for my disability rather than my education, my work and life experience and, and the various skill sets that I do have. So 
therefore I became very passionate, you know, because I started not getting jobs, like I'm not being hired, you know? So during the time when I wasn't employed, I applied for grants and got uh, advocacy groups to, to do projects. So where we recruited mentors, people with disabilities who have work experience to mentor younger people with uh, less work experience to mentor them in the job search and job retention process. So it was about a two-year project, and the city who funded the project even uh, was very impressed and extended that project, and that led to other, you know, other initiatives, other short-term projects. We also, at the same time, you know, revived the celebration of the International Day for Persons with Disabilities, December 3rd, coming up, okay? So that, you know, we kind of, the city dropped it for a while. It was, eh, you know, maybe it wasn't a priority, but we ourselves, people with disabilities, got together and said, we have to mark the state. If we don't mark it, if we don't come together to celebrate our achievements, our contribution to society, who else? So that also continued for several years. So I am just, just just want to say my passion come from my own lived experience of I am the same person. I have so much to contribute, but why can I not you know, gain employment, even though I have been employed for most of my life? So I want to just reiterate what Anne-Marie said, you know, I believe, you know, people, uh, perception of uh, people with disabilities really is related to their perception of disability. So Anne talked about the medical model. I want to re- mention another model, the charity model, right? So people will see uh, people with disabilities as victims, right? Oh, you poor thing, you can't see, you're blind. Why don't you sit down? Let me get this for you. Let me do that for you. I said, I'm totally helpless, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So they don't expect much from people with disabilities, we're just recipients of help, right? Because of that charity model. The medical model you've ever heard from Anne, oh, we're patients, you know, we need treatment, we need to be cured, we need to be healed until we can function just like everybody else. We're again, still excluded from the society in general, but also from employment because somehow we're just not good enough to hold down a job. Whereas the social model that Anne-Marie referred to, I like to say that looking at the social model of disability means that disability is a result of both my personal, my impairment, which is sight loss, and the barriers that exist in society, right? So we could talk about facility, built environment barriers, right? The way you have your facility set up. Uh, We can talk about communication barriers, the format, the different formats of your communication channels. You can talk about systemic barriers. You can talk about attitudinal barriers, the way people, you know, view us, people with disability. These barriers are the disabling factors, (laughs) right? So if you hand me a piece of paper with information on it and I said, sorry, I can't see. I can't read this and get this information. Is it because just my eyesight or is it because the format that you provided this information? If somebody in a wheelchair can't get into your office, is it because of the person's physical disability or is it because the way you have your, the width of your door or the steps in front of your building? So we are looking at the, the disabling factor is also, you know, in society. So that I'm not saying, what's wrong with me? I'm the one that's disabled, but what's wrong with our society? (laughs) What can we change? You know, instead of waiting for me to be cured, to find that magic cure where I can suddenly see, uh, how do we change the way we do things in society? How do we change the way we do things in our organizations, in our hiring and recruitment practice, so that people with disabilities can be included? 
I love that. Thank you, Yin, for sharing those really great, you know, practical examples. And actually, when I started to learn about, you know, disability in the workplace many years ago, the light went on in my head when somebody told me, do you know that you are also being accommodated as a non-disabled person? That, you know, when you go to the office where the handle is on, you know, the door, your desk height, your chair height, your monitors, everything, the light above your head, everything has been created to make it easy for you to go to work and do your work. Every single one of you has been accommodated to be able to do your work. And just because you're the majority doesn't mean that, you know, it only should work for the majority. It should work for everyone. And that's what we're talking about when we say inclusion in the workplace. It's not just for some people or the majority, but it's for everyone to feel included. And that means as a workplace, what do we need to do to do better, to be different, right? So that was my aha moment. And hopefully it helps, you know, some of the listeners today with your own learning. And moving on to that, you know, you you mentioned a little bit about you know, what we can do in terms of our employment practices. Let's do a a deeper dive on that if we can, Yin. Can you tell us about your organization, what you're doing at the Ability Centers with regards to inclusive employment practices that are inclusive of everyone, including persons with disabilities? Are there any tips and tricks or advice that you might be able to give to all of us on how we can do that? Okay. Well, at Ability Centre, which is physically located in Whitby, Ontario, on the homeland of uh, the Mississaugas of Scugog Island, we do have all kinds of uh, fitness, sports, recreation, skills development, as well as employment programs. And we make sure that all of our programs really are inclusive. And we always think about variations of these programs and services, right? So we try to stay, not stay away, but, you know, not single people would disabilities out saying, well, you need accommodation, (laughs) but rather, how can we do things in variations, you know, in different ways so that different people with different preferences and can feel comfortable, can be, you know, have the same benefit. So when it comes to hiring practice, we look for qualified candidates from various backgrounds and identities. We want to be authentic and sincere in welcoming them to apply. So we make sure that in our job posting that we specifically list the underrepresented groups that we want to hear from. So we would say, we welcome application from qualified candidates from, and then we would say, you know, LGBTQ, a newcomer, racialized, and people with disabilities or the disability community. So we don't just have a canned statement like we're an equity, whatever, (laughs) equal opportunity employer. Because people know, you know, like if you just slap on a canned statement or a combination available on request, like it's, it's, <laughs> they know it's just a canned statement that you put on just, just, just because you have to, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's what we do to make sure that our job posting is very authentic and welcoming. Now, when it comes to the screen, the application and screening uh, interview selection process, we do offer a variety, right? You don't just have to apply online, which I find as a blind person using computers, these online portals are not always very user-friendly, right? And I don't even know what it looks like once I cut and paste it into these uh, little slots. Say, you know, if you want to apply in a different format, just let us know. So that's that accommodation, right? 
we also give variations or choices. You know, do you want to do it in person, uh, over Zoom, you know, or of course virtual, which we've all learned to do now by phone. And even during the interview, you have a choice of verbal or written, right? If you want us to, you know, have you put the questions in chat, you want to answer in a written format, that's fine. Of course, most people still choose the verbal method, but we do offer that choice. So these are the ways that our HR um, department has really tried to implement. Oh, also, you know, besides disability, before the interview, we also make sure we ask their pronouns and their preferred names so that we respect their the way that they like to be referred to. Great. Those are really good examples and very practical and I think meaningful, right? And you just you just unpacked perhaps a misconception in some places where if you are hiring for diversity, are we still hiring the best person for the job, right? And unfortunately, sometimes it sounds like a dichotomy. It's like you either hire for diversity or you hire for merit. But what you just said, Yin, is that you are hiring the most qualified candidate based on a most diverse pool of candidates. And you're actually being very thoughtful about, you know, the people that are underrepresented in your organization and you you, you welcome them to apply. So I think that that is such an inclusive and respectful way and thoughtful way of doing it and not jeopardizing, you know, quality of candidates, right, which is very important in this conversation. Amazing. So this month, we're talking about mental health, we're talking about disabilities, and I'd like to ask you this question. What are the mental health impacts on persons with disabilities, you know, as they navigate the challenges and barriers in employment, or let's say they are in the workplace already, are there challenges within the culture of the organization, or even prospects when it comes to advancement? What do you think organizations can do to alleviate those impacts? I think the hardest thing for people with disabilities, and you've mentioned quite a few different types, and I would say most of them are invisible, even people with sight loss or hearing loss. You can't tell, you know, <laughs> unless uh, you, you see a by white king. But anyways, people with disabilities, the hardest they find is disclosing their disability, right? Because of that fear of judgment, of discrimination, people, you know, having wrong assumptions and therefore losing out on the opportunity of getting the job or opportunities of as advancement. So we don't disclose uh, if we could, <laughs> if we could cover it up, hide it, we will do our very best, you know, but then it takes so much mental and mental energy and just time and effort to, to make up for the challenges. You know, we just cover it up and manage on our own, you know, without asking for any accommodation or supports because we don't want people to think that uh, we're lazy. We can't do the job or, you know, it costs more to keep us uh, or to hire us. So all this kind of, you know, hiding one's true identity really takes a mental toll on us, stress, and then, of course, making up for for the lack of accommodation support really, you know, cost us time and effort, and that cuts into our, you know, personal well-being as well. 
And of course, you mentioned already during COVID, you know, when all of us are isolated and start fearing and having, you know, really a fear and, and other kind of anxieties, people with disabilities have it even more because the, the usual resources and support that we can access during COVID is all just cut off, right? I don't get my volunteers to come anymore. They don't want, nobody's seeing anybody, right? So, and, you know, I'm always astounded that people can, you know, apply for a CRB, but people with disabilities, we get our, uh, what, $600? (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) But anyway, just to say that we experience more the lack of support and resources during COVID. So what do we do then? I think managers, people with that power and privilege should be the ones to initiate a conversation on access needs, right? In your check-ins, in your even onboarding, right? Or even during the inter, uh, maybe not this interview process, maybe, uh, yeah, the, the interview application process, constantly offer accommodation or on the onboarding, you know, discuss any access needs in your check-ins, in your performance review. You raise the discussion, normalize the discussion on access needs needs. Now, as we said, you know, we're not the only ones that need accommodation, you know, people with family, uh, caregiving, religious, uh, dietary, uh, you know, special needs, (laughs) they need alternatives, right? They need variations. So likewise, us. So I think if uh, managers can keep it in mind to let everyone know uh, what is the accommodation policies and procedures, provide that open, comfortable, safe space to actually discuss alternatives or access needs with everyone, as you say, you know, not just people with disabilities. I think that would go a long way. What else? Yeah, I, I would say that's the thing that just constantly make it a, a regular check in. And it's not just with people with disabilities, with, with all you, the whole team, so that we know that everyone, everyone needs accommodation. And then that providing that safe space, people will disclose more. That's great. Thank you, Yin. And actually, I'm thinking about asking you the flip side of that question as well. What are some of the things that employers should not do? <laughs> right? Are there things that you've seen, you've experienced, or you've heard other people experience, you know, employees do in the workplace, and it made it really difficult for them to feel included, to it really, you know, impacted their mental health because of the things that managers or their employers did in the workplace? What they sh- should not do, of course, is making assumptions. <laughs> we say that for every marginalized, you know, population groups. Not all blind people uh, operate the same way. I don't do Braille. I don't. I, not all people with mental health, you know, have the same issues or need the same accommodation. So, as as you mentioned about that continuum, that continuum exists. That wide range exists within the disability community and within each disability, right? So, I think making no assumptions, especially that uh, the assumption that hiring a person with disability costs more, or that person is less productive. So a lot of people, we have our own assistive devices, right? We already know what we need in order to, for us to, to perform well. Sometimes you don't even need to, <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you don't even need to buy expensive gadgets and devices. I remember I started uh, with an organization that was very, very welcoming, very inclusive. They went and bought all kinds of stuff, thousands of dollars. And you know what? I don't need them. 
you know, mm-hmm. so I think, so the same thing, you don't always insist on a medical certificate, you know, like, you know, people, we have to go pay now extra out of my own pocket to get my doctor to write this form out, fill it out, or a specialist, you know, because oftentimes employers won't do, won't go out and pay for all this, especially if you're not uh, their employer yet. So I think just talk with the person directly, say, what are your access needs? What's the best setup? Just as we would say that we want to set people up for success. So instead of saying, what accommodations do you need? You know, <laughs> but rather, how can I set you up for success? What is the best workplace setup or best arrangement that would help you to perform the best? And uh, with COVID, we all know that some people do better working from home. Flex time. And I would even suggest things like work share. So there are so many, you know, creative ways to be inclusive. And I would say, don't make assumptions. Don't jump to conclusions. Just have that constant open dialogue conversation with your employee. And they will tell you, we will tell you what works best. That's great. Really, it's the culture of the organization. It's the way that you interact with people every day, right? It's not just, okay, I've asked the accommodation question, checklist, (laughs) it's done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I think what you're saying here, Yin, is that it is part of your daily interactions with your people. You ask them what they need. You encourage them to share and you are there to provide the supports that you can. So I think that's a really good sort of mindset that growth mindset, that engagement mindset throughout. So Yin, my last question for you is really about, you know, tell me a little bit about the LEAD program offered by the Ability Centers. I understand that it's a great program that helps other organizations to, you know, help to be more accessible. Tell me a little bit more about what that looks like. Yes, uh, Ability Center, even though we want to practice disability inclusion, you know, within our, in our own organization, but we know that many other organizations can use with some support. So we have this lead, leading equitable and accessible delivery. It's a process. I don't even want to call it a training. It's a process facilitated by Ability Center staff, including myself. Mm -hmm. So what we do is that we approach organizations that we think would benefit from this. And we say, hey, you know, this process where we, you know, want participation from different parts of your, you know, organization, like across department and at different levels that you choose a group of representatives from very parts of your organization to come, not only learn about disability inclusion, we'll provide a one hour workshop, but also go through what your organization is currently doing. So we go through very various themes, you know, things from leadership, governance, strategies, your programs and services, your financial resources, your partnerships, suppliers, your HR practice, your communication and marketing, your facilities, your digital uh, digital technology supports. Basically, the holistic approach, looking at how your organization is, is doing in all these areas and looking at it from that accessibility inclusion perspective. And then we would go through the uh, sort of assessment process where we talk to you, you tell us how you're doing, strengths, gaps, weaknesses. And then after sort of two half-day sessions, we produce an improvement plan specifically tailored for your organization so that you can say, oh, well, well." (laughs) you know, these are the things that we can actually work on. We provide as well, you know, some additional resources, not just from Ability Center, but 
you know, from other organizations that have produced these resources. So actually, it's a year-long process, and we stay with you. We check in with you after the self-assessment. So if you're interested in that, definitely contact me. Some of them can be funded by a government funding that we have, but others, if it's outside of the sort of conditions of the funding, then it, it would be fee-for-service. But it's something that we've been doing for the last two, three years, and we're really, really excited to see how organizations, municipalities are really on this journey with us. So that's the lead process in that's a great. very brief way. Thank you, Yin, because I think that that is such a good program. Like it's something that a lot of organizations probably need, right, is that external advice coming into the organization and providing with some areas for improvement, some checklists, some thought, food for thoughts. I think that's really, really thoughtful and it's important for us. We do have a number of questions now, which is amazing, but I'm going to ask one quick one because it's related to what you just said. And there's a, a participant who is from Montreal and she's wondering if you are aware of an organization or a center in Montreal or even Quebec that offers similar things to what the Ability Center is offering or providing that kind of support to organizations. Do you know of any by any chance? Well, I know of various organizations. They represent as well as serve people with disabilities and various organizations focus on different aspects, right? So Ability Center, we're sort of, you know, cross disability. So I know Disabled Women's Network, Don, um, Canada, they are situation in Montreal. So they provide consultation as well as support, especially for in areas that uh, for women with disabilities. Of course, there are many other disability organizations that exist in Montreal, you know, not just for the blind, but for others. We also work with organizations, you know, in, in Montreal. So if it's uh, French speaking, then we will see if we can, you know, provide that, uh, that interpretation or facilitators with the French speaking ability. So it depends. So if there's a specific area, then we maybe look for, you know, who that we partnered with in the past or currently, and I can give you some referrals, but do exactly what Ability Center does. I have to check. Because I don't don't know all our parts. Just really good examples for the Montreal area. Thank you so much for that. Okay, we have uh, quite a few questions. So this is very great. The first one is, how do you think virtual interviews have changed the outcomes for employment? I think definitely the virtual aspect definitely opened up the way for people who, for one reason or another, find it challenging to go to the office or the workplace. You know, it could be, you know, commuting time or it could be just the office is just not accessible, right? Or it's very noisy or, or, you know, who knows? There's so many aspects of the workplace that may not be conducive to quality, productive work. So I definitely think it, it is a benefit. However, nothing is perfect. Right. So I work from home most of the time, but I lose that sort of personal in-person connection. So interaction, you know, face-to-face interaction. So I think never assume that one way is better than another. It may be better for certain workers, but definitely has opened up for people who in the past may not be able to secure employment because they have to go to the workplace. But now, yeah, everybody's working remotely. So that definitely is a plus. 
That's good. That's great. Thank you for that. Another question here, which is, this is a good one. How do we get buy-in from senior management to show value? I find that oftentimes organizations say they are inclusive, but they often struggle within their own team to have the same vision. I think that's where presenting a business case, finding materials, papers, research that shows the benefits of including people with disabilities, finding champions in your own organization, people who may have disability themselves, or people who, you know, have family members or great allies of people with disabilities. I think constantly, uh, yeah, just as we have done with women, racialized, you know, LGBTQ community to show that, to help them reduce that discriminatory attitude, right? To show them the benefits. And I think I want to always remind people, you know, that none of us are able-bodied all the time. All of us are temporarily only able-bodied. All of us will become disabled sooner or later through aging, through illness, through accidents, through trauma. You're just lucky that right now <laughs> you're able-bodied one. You're going to experience it. So, so employment of people with disabilities affect you, affect your future, affect your children, your grandchildren, your relatives, your community. So to show them that disability is not that little corner of pocket of people over there, but it, you know, the disadvantage of not hiring them affects all of us and also the benefits, you know, sustainability innovation, problem solving, resilience. You get that from incorporating, including us in your workforce. That's great. And I love how you not, you know, we're going beyond the us versus them. This is not an issue for me. It's an issue for them. But no, it's actually an issue for me and for my loved ones. And I think that that's so important for us to think it's a paradigm shift, right, in terms of our thinking. Another great question here uh, for you, Yin. Someone said, I like your comment about how can I support you in being successful rather than accommodation. What other questions can be used to assist individuals that struggle with identifying their needs? This seems common with individuals working through mental health struggles in particular, right? Are there some questions that we can, are more like, you know, the safe for people to ask questions of their colleagues? Well, as a manager, sometimes, yeah, if they don't disclose, it's, then I just have to ask around what has worked well for you in the past or in other work situations, right? So always start with what's going well and why do you think that's going well? <laughs> So what are some past successes, you know, past workplaces or work situations that you really thrived in, right? So asking the person to come up with a solution as well. So it's not always talking about the problem or the the deficit or what's wrong, but what works, you know, and from that person's own experience. And oftentimes the person comes up with their own solution. And if that one solution didn't work, well, go back again and says, well, we try that. And how's that work? You know, how can we do even better, right? So people talk about rating yourself between, you know, zero to 10. If you say I'm at a seven, how can you move up to a 7.5? So that's some of our coaching methods. And I apply that as well, asking people to focus on solutions, possibilities of solutions rather than what's not working. Mm, That's fantastic. Here's a question, and I don't know if you have the answer to this one, but I think it might be one that a lot of people are thinking about as they're trying to be more, you know, accessible and inclusive. 
What are the eligibility requirements to access government funds for the program? And I think they might be referring to the LEAD program from the Ability Center or just any kind of support to make their workplace more accessible and inclusive. If you're talking about the facilitated lead process that we do, I think if you're in Ontario, there's more likelihood. (laughs) If you're Mm -hmm. in certain sectors, uh, that there's more likelihood. And also we look at how your organization would be impacting your sector, right? So if we have a choice of doing, you know, uh, doing lead with this one or that one, well, this one probably have greater impact in their community. So we probably would prioritize that one. For organizations outside of Ontario, there is a government funding, but I don't oversee that one. But, you know, do not let any of these be in the way. Just if you're really interested, ask. Now, as far as, you know, government funding just for employment of people with disabilities, that I think varies from province to province. But it never hurts to keep asking, you know, keep asking the respective ministry for Ontario. It's the ministry for seniors and accessibility. Says, what funding is there to support us hiring people with disabilities? Sometimes there's federal funding to help help with employment. But I think that's another thing that I want people to yeah, don't assume that it's going to cost more money. Just as you are hiring anybody to join your workforce, right? Just make your hiring process, your recruitment process inclusive. Because honestly, um, people with disabilities may not cost any more than uh, someone who's who don't have a disability. So it's not totally reliant on specific funding for you to be inclusive in your employment. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, letting go of assumptions that we may have about, you know, how much it costs. Or like I remember, you know, some of my colleagues saying, you know, I have an accent. And as soon as somebody hears my accent, somehow they slow down their talk or they speak louder because they assume that because you have an accent, you don't understand English as well. (laughs) So I think it's those kinds of misconceptions and assumptions that people have about certain groups of people. Here's a really good one, and there's a few comments related to this question, and it's about how do you respond to employers who are insisting on return to the office, right, Uh, despite the fact that some employees may be performing better or they're more successful working at home because it's just helping them with their disability, right? How would you respond to something like that? That's a new one. I have never heard of uh, people insisting on returning the office. Like I've heard people who wants to do it, you know, hybrid, you know, sometimes in the office, sometimes work from home. I guess from a human rights perspective, I would always honor the person's choice, right? Unless there is a real barrier. But what did they do previously? Did they not work at the office? Anyways, I'm just saying that if the person really wants, that's what the person wants, then we should provide that. But if it's a matter of your office not being accessible, then again, discuss with the employee and just be honest and say, this is the situation of our building, of our office you know, would it be accessible for you? Would you feel, you know, comfortable working in this environment? Of course, you know, you're not going to start a rental, major rental project just because one person wants to be in the office. But I would always want to respect the person's choice first, unless there's there are real sort of undue hardship that we can't overcome. Great. Yes, thank you. So going back to the person asking them and human rights, an important element in a day-to-day interaction with people. I love that as well. There's also a few questions related to this one here, and it's about 
creating an environment where we can encourage persons with disabilities to self-declare in the workplace. Or, you know, because we mentioned some disabilities, a lot of disabilities are invisible, right? And our coworkers cannot see it. Are there any tips that you can share with us on how to promote self-declaration? Yeah, it is very important because organizations should have a good sense of the diversity of their workforce, right? So data collection, employee census, demographic surveys, and Ability Center, we ourselves, you know, learn from our mistakes that you don't just launch a survey says, please self-identify, please tell us, you know, your identity or <laughs> sexual orientation, religious back. no. You have to give them a very good reason why they should, why it's beneficial to them as well as to the organization. So we preface it by saying, Ability Center, we are on this journey to really be, to increase our inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. We want our workforce to be representative of the population groups that we serve. This is the lofty goal that we all signed on to. Right? This, is, this is our organization's vision. Vision. You're part of it. You know, we want you to help us to show us where the gaps are. Right. So if nobody identifies as having a disability, well, we really got a lot of work to do. But if you say, "Hey, I'm LGBTQ plus. Uh, I'm newcomer. I'm whatever," then we say. Oh, good. At least we're 1% or we're at 2% and set that goal, right? So our goal was started as 3%, <laughs> you know, a very small goal, but nevertheless, the goal. We show that the information we're gathering is for this positive because we have this goal. We want to improve our diversity inclusion and also assuring them of confidentiality, anonymity, you know, whatever that, that their information, personal information is not going to be thrown around. And in the survey itself, we always offer them the choice of not disclosing. So it's not mandatory, right? We ask for your disability. We even break it down. What kind of disability? We always give them say, you know, up not to answer, or they can describe it in a, in a, in an edit box, what they want to name their disability, right? So this goes with identity, right? I'm not Chinese. I'm not, you know, Caucasian. I'm this, right? So mm -hmm. I think giving a bit more variation so that they feel that they can identify themselves. And then also it doesn't, you don't change the culture overnight. You, you throw out your first, you know, the survey and if it doesn't work, you find out why people are not and then you improve, improve. And Ability Center over the last three years, we have really seen a greater uptake on our demographic survey. So it takes a great mm -hmm. communication strategy to assure people how disclosing is for good, not for, you know, mm -hmm. not a risk. And you're so right about that. A survey without background, without passion, without purpose, without management singing from the same song sheet in terms of why we're doing this work will make it really difficult for people to self-declare and to understand why they're doing this. So I love what you just said about that. Now, my last question for you, and I apologize because we can't get to all the questions, but this last question, you know, one person mentioned Asperger's, another person mentioned developmental disabilities, another person mentioned, you know, my back problem as being, a, you know, an issue. And they're all kind of concerned about, first of all, you know, how do you bring this up if you are a candidate and in an interview? And maybe from the side of the employer, like, how do you create, you know, the environment during an interview for people to, to feel, you know, like they can say those things, that they can be a, 
supported for their, you know, developmental disability or their physical disability? First of all, I'll speak from the sort of candidates <laughs> perspective. Yeah. I always choose not to focus on what I cannot do or my dis- if my disability ed, uh, does not allow me, like I'm not going to keep talking, saying, you know what, I can't see pictures. You know that, right? I'm blind. I, I want to emphasize on what I can do, how my qualifications really match the job description, right? So focus on that. Now, if they ever, you know, I doubt it, but if employers or the interviewer bring it up, you know, what are some challenges and, and say, well, I think I always say, well, you know, I am blind, you know, and this is the way I, these are the ways that I modify the way I work. You know, I use a screen reading software and this is how I can work. I can still be very productive, uh, perform well with such and such assistive devices or adjustments or modifications to my work setup. So at the interview stage, I, I wouldn't go on and on about what I need for accommodation. I would just prove to them that I'm worth hiring. But after that, you know, at the, what do you call it, the, the onboarding and the first meeting with your manager and all that, if they don't initiate it, I think that comes to that brave, you know, <laughs> courage to say, you know, and again, it's not talking about your disability, it's talking about what would be the best setup, right? So Tom, sometimes, you know, employers, I don't even know what their disability is, but they have asked for. XYZ setup is, oh, you want a dimmer lights. Okay. You want to, you know, work three out of five days from home. That's fine. You know, like nothing to us. Right. So I don't think focusing on your disability is really crucial. Just like we don't want to treat you as a medical case. We don't even have to talk about that. If you mm-hmm. want to, fine. But usually we want to look at the solutions. We look on the best work environment. That's what I want to focus on. That's That's not what I like to focus on. Again, that mindset shift, right? And using the language that's positive and that encourage both sides, you know, to come up with solutions. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Yin. We are out of time. This was very informative. I see from the chat that, you know, people really enjoyed what you had to share and learned a lot. They said that it was very insightful. Big thank yous across the board. Uh, So I wanted to uh, really thank you so much for being with us today. Part of today's webinar will also show up as a podcast later on this month. And so for those of you who want to share Yin's insight, please check our website later on to access the podcast. And on this note, I would like to pass the mic back to Nilab to close the session. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Leader Talks. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. To stay up to date with Leader Talks or to find out transcripts of previous podcast episodes, please visit ccdi.ca slash podcast podcast.